You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Y'all go ahead and grab a seat. It's so good to, to worship with y'all this morning. I have a question that you don't have to answer out loud, but you can begin to, you can begin to ponder, and that is, what is God's will for your life? What is God's will for your life? I think a lot of us as believers, if you're not a Christian, that's probably not on your radar. Still, I think you can tune into what God's doing this morning and he'll speak to you uh, through his word. But as believers, I think we, we wrestle with that question a lot. And it, maybe for some of you, maybe it paralyzes you sometimes. What is God's will for your life. We may not always think of it in those exact terms, but it's something that even internally we certainly struggle with. And I think there's different ways that as Christians, we, we tend to think about that question. And these are kind of silly, but I think you'll resonate with these. I think for some of us, when we think about God's will, uh, it's what I call rope swing Christianity. So uh, <laughs> I'm already getting some weird looks. It's good. Uh, Lauren and I grew up both in Florida, and I remember we would often, I say we, as kids growing up, would often go uh, to the river, to the lake, and there was a rope swing, right? So Florida, one thing we do have is plenty of, plenty of water, so plenty of rope swings. And a lot of, along a lot of the rivers, there were uh, what we call cypress knee trunks, what I call them. And so it's like, and I guess there's, and maybe in more East Texas, you see this a lot of the, the roots of the tree sticking up out of the water just on the edge. And so when you're doing the rope swing, you, you're very careful to get the timing right. Because if you, if you let go, if you hang on too long and you end up coming back, or if you let go too early, you're gonna land on one of those tree trunks. And that's not good, right? It's gonna, it's gonna be devastating. And so you wanna get that timing just right. I think for some of us, that's how we view God's will, that if I don't get the timing just right on this decision, then I'm gonna mess everything up. So for some of you, maybe... The younger generation, it's like, if I don't meet the right person at the right time, then my life will just be a mess. Or for some of you, it's maybe if I don't have that difficult conversation, you've been waiting five months to have the right time for that difficult conversation because you want to make sure that God's timing is just right. For some of you, maybe it's you're worried about when you're going to retire. Do I have God's timing and when I'm going to retire just right for others of us, so you got rope swing Christianity. I think for some, it's what I call um, Holy Grail Christianity. Some of you may remember the movie Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And you remember, uh, they get to the end, and the whole point is they're trying to find the, the cup. But this is just in case you haven't seen it. This is not real life. Like, this is not, this is not how it goes, okay? So um, anyways, in the movie... And if you haven't seen this movie, and I'm spoiling it for you, that's totally on you, right? This movie's been out a long time, all right? <laughs> so... Uh, they, they get to where all these cups are and they're trying to find the cup that Jesus drank from at the Last Supper, I think, is, what, is that right? Because they think that if you drink from this cup, it'll give you uh, immortality or, or you'll never get sick, that kind of thing, right? So they're, they're looking for the different cups and one guy chooses a cup and he drinks from it and it's, it's the wrong cup. And so the way I would describe it is it's like his body deteriorates and decays as though it would in a million, year, in a million years, but it happens in about 30 seconds. So it's super gross. He just, just kind of like evaporates. And the guard that's standing there says, he chose poorly. <laughs> and you're like, 
like the understatement of the year, of the century, right? I mean, he just evaporated and dissipated. I think some of us, we view God's will that way, that if I, if I make the wrong choice, if I don't get it just right, that my life will just melt apart. So again, for some of you, if you, you kind of stress over, if I don't find the perfect, the one, oh my goodness, then, then my life will just be a mess. By the way, once you marry that person, they become the one regardless, okay? So that's, that's a different sermon I want to go to, but I'm not going to, okay? So uh, you stress over the one, or maybe for some of you, you stress over the major you're going to have in college. And maybe some of you, you've, you've changed seven times and you're like, this, I think this is the right choice now, right? I think God's like, just make up your mind, bro. Um, for some of you, you're stressing over the career field that you're in. Is this God's will? Am, am I doing things right? Have, have, I, have I messed up? Because you don't want to make the wrong choice. For some of you, maybe it's your retirement plan or what ministry you should help in or what piece of advice you should give to your kid or your grandkid. For some of you, you're like me sometimes and you're like, I don't even know how to pray for this situation. You don't want to pray the wrong thing. And you're afraid if you do it wrong, you'll ruin everything. For others, anybody been to the corn maze? Good time, Outerdew Farms, right? Uh, for some of you, I think this, you may relate to this third way and that you, you see God's will as this corn maze and like he's trying to trick you. And so all along through life, you're looking for clues and you're doing some Gideon, throwing a fleece out, if you know what I mean, in the Old Testament. And, and you're always searching for, for this sign in the sky. I had this friend in high school who uh, liked this girl and he started praying that God would give him a sign. And so he was driving down the interstate one day and saw a billboard with her name on it. And he was like, that's the sign God was giving me. And it's like, we need to pray for you, man. <laughs> like, um, always looking for that clue to make the right turn because you're afraid if you don't, follow God's will and then follow this maze, which thinking of it as a maze is, is not biblical anyways, but you, you feel like I'll get stuck and I'll be lost in life forever. Can anyone relate to any of those? What is God's will? If you have your Bible, turn to 2 Peter. Some of you are already there. But 2 Peter chapter 3. interesting. Peter, he's writing to believers in the first century. In chapter three, he, he kind of lays out, hey, Jesus is coming back. He's going to bring judgment with them. One day believers will be with him in heaven. It's going to be amazing. So we look forward to that day. But in verse 14, really, the, this is the last little couple paragraphs of the book. He says, though we long for heaven to be here, here's how you should live for today. So not worrying about what happened in the past, not worrying about heaven, though we long for that, amen, we look forward to heaven. Saying, here's what we do today while we wait. So if you could just lean in for a second. So often we are obsessed with and worried with God's secret will, meaning, God, like, would, would you give me some insight? You don't have to tell everybody what you're doing, but will you just tell me what you want me to do? God, would you give me these secrets? And the reality is we're gonna see from scripture this morning, he's already given us his revealed will of what he wants us to do, how we're to live our lives. And I'm gonna bet that you're like me and that too often we're worried about this, oh man, kind of hidden secret will that he's not gonna tell us, when the reality is he's given us plenty to do already. 
You with me? Things that he just clearly tells us, this is his will for your life. So I, I, I can't tell you what is God's will like you might want to hear it, but I can tell you what God's will is for your life. And there's, there's four things that Peter's going to tell us this morning, very simply. That said, look at verse 14 with me. What is God's will? Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, so waiting for heaven, waiting for the return of Christ, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight at peace. What's the first thing God's will for your life is this. God's will for me is to be serious about holiness. That's our first point we're gonna put on the screen. God's will for me is to be serious about holiness holiness. <laughs> it's not real exciting, is it? But it's necessary. We always want this, oh, God, show me the secret. And he's saying, hey, what I care about, my will for you, is that you care about holiness, that you be serious about making every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight. John Owen, he was a 17th century British theologian. He says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. That's the idea here that Peter's saying. Which is make every effort. So this is not like a lackadaisical, like, I don't know, sin's not that big a deal. No, you're intentionally, seriously putting sin to death, making every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight. So notice here, holiness, not, the standard is not society's standard. The standard is the Savior's standard, right? That when Christ returns in his sight, I've been found holy and without blemish. And by the way, Peter knows we can't be perfect, but the idea is that we're, we're striving to, to live as holy and pure as we can in the eyes of Christ, not in the eyes of your friend or not always comparing yourself to someone else and saying, well, I'm not as dirty and simple as they are, so I guess I'm okay. No, in the eyes of Jesus, make every effort to be found spotless. Take holiness Seriously, and he even says at peace. So there's a little like, I think it's because of the context of Second Peter and what he was addressing. But there's even this little caveat, or not caveat, but like kind of sidebar, so to speak, of hey, be at peace with one another. Part of holiness as the body of Christ is that we're at peace with one another. There's, there's not all these uh, factions and divisions and cliques, but that we're at peace with one another. Be serious about holiness. Make every effort. Were any uh, engaged or married men in the room? Can I see your hand? Raise, raise your hand. Don't be, don't be shy. All right. Okay. Men, when you went, I don't know why I'm grabbing this. Yeah. When you went and got your, you got that engagement ring, I'm going to guess that you treated it with care. Like I remember when I got Lauren's ring, I remember I hid it in this, drawer in the kitchen. I was living in the mission house. Yeah, mission house at that time. And I would every day when I got home from work, I would open it to make sure it was still there, right? And every now I'd look at it and just like, oh yeah, killed it. Good decision, right? <laughs> you know what I didn't do? I didn't like take it to Chick-fil-A and set it out by the fries and the sauce and the, and the like the grease. That's a couple of weeks in a row I've talked about Chick-fil-A. There's something going on in my soul, I think. But I didn't take it to the gym and like have it in my pocket so that, you know, I was doing deadlifts. Someone asked me, do I do leg day? Yes, I do leg day. Leave me alone. I know they're skinny. 
as I'm doing deadlifts, I'm not letting the bar smash up against the ring, right? I didn't take it to the corn maze when we took the middle schoolers out there and like let it fall out in the dirt. No, it was, I kept it precious. Not because I was worried, my precious. <laughs> not because I was worried about Lauren seeing the ring when I proposed and saying, ooh, there's a few smudges. I'm gonna have to say no. Like, if it was dependent on that, then I was in trouble, right? No, I was careful with that ring because me giving that ring to her was a reflection of how I felt about her, right? It wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, she's gonna reject me if there's a smudge on it. No, it's like, I want it to be in pristine quality as I give this to her. See, the heart of the believer is not to say, oh, you know what? God's gonna accept me no matter what. Like, so I'm just gonna live how I want and some smudges and some dirt and some grease in my, in my life and my soul will be okay. No, the heart of the believer is to say, Jesus, my life is a reflection of the love I have for you because you have loved me first. And so I, I wanna come to you being serious about holiness, being serious about being spotless and blameless. Not because Jesus, you're gonna reject me if I'm not perfect. We're not perfect, that's why Jesus came. But because I want my life to be a reflection of my love for you, Jesus. And you know what, going back to that ring, it was a reminder that there was a day coming, I think it was October 10th was the day I proposed, sounds right to me. Lauren's not great with dates, so she's not gonna argue with me. <laughs> because I knew that day was coming, it kept me focused on keeping that ring safe. When you keep your eyes on the fact that Jesus is coming again, as Peter laid out earlier in the chapter, that it is a sure thing happening, helps me follow God's will for today about being serious about holiness. He is coming again. I want my life to be a reflection of my love for him. So I'm serious about holiness. I want to ask real quick, how do you do that? I, don't, I could spend way too much time here than, than I have for today, but you don't get serious about holiness and like walking in purity with the Lord by obsessing over sin. Dane Orland, he wrote a book on sanctification called Deeper, incredible book. But Dane Orland, I love the way he describes it. He says, you suffocate sin by staring at Jesus. <laughs> You fix your eyes on Jesus. And just like, I'm kind of weird metaphor I'll use here, just like going, have the opportunity to go to the Cowboys stadium and actually watch them in the stadium makes sitting at home playing video games lose its luster. So does fixing your eyes on Jesus and walking with him make sin lose its luster. You tracking with what I'm saying there? I can look at C.S. Lewis said basically that the, the, the idea of a day at the beach makes the idea of swimming or playing in a mud pool lose its luster, right? Loses its pull. So the way you, you get serious about holiness is you fix your eyes on Jesus, not obsess over your sin. And when you do that, it leads to a much fuller, much more satisfying life. So what's God's will for your life? Be serious about holiness. What's the second thing? Verse 15. Also regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. 
So here's our second thing we're going to see. Really restating verse 15. That is, God's will for me is to celebrate and participate in the mission of God. God's will for me is to celebrate and participate in the mission of God. Where am I getting that? He says, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. So he's saying the patience of the Lord to return, regard that as salvation. So maybe worded funny for us. What he's saying is every day the Lord waits to return is a day the Lord is redeeming. Every, every day the Lord chooses not to return is a day the Lord is choosing to redeem people. Y'all with me? He's choosing to save people. So when Peter, if you read all of second Peter, there are some people who are mocking and saying, well, Jesus hadn't come back yet. I guess he's never coming back. Or they would, they would scoff and say, well, Jesus hasn't come back yet. So maybe you can't really trust God. Maybe you can't trust his promises. And Peter is pushing back against that and saying, no, listen, he is coming back. But right now today, the mindset you need to have is to know that every day the Lord waits is a day that he's actually saving people. So celebrate that, participate that in that, that Jesus is still saving and redeeming people. Aren't you glad that he waited long enough for us to be saved? Yes, we can rejoice in his waiting for that. And he says, when he says our dear brother, Paul, he's saying, Paul agrees with this. And some uh, theologians try to argue like exactly where Paul says this. He says, he's written in all of his letters in verse 16, that he agrees with this, that while we're here, we should have this mindset today. God's will is that we would say, hey, you know what? God is still saving people. I want to celebrate in that. And I want to be part of that. You know, some of y'all are like me in that you, you love Christmas. And so like, I'm, maybe it's because I went to a small Bible college and literally they started setting up for Christmas on Halloween day. It just seems kind of like trying to be a little too spiritual. You know what I mean? <laughs> like trying a little too hard there. But I love Christmas. But if, I, if, I'm, if my love for Christmas, which is the best season, okay? If, I'm, if my love for that causes me to miss out on this season, there's some legitimately fun things I'm missing out on. Like somebody in a small group the other day said, he was like, he was kind of joking, but kind of serious. He was like, best thing about the fall, pumpkin spice latte, right? All the girls made fun of him. <laughs> or... Somebody said, man, sweater weather, right? Like, wasn't this morning beautiful? Man, and yesterday, seriously, like, yesterday was incredible. There's something about the fall that is special. And even, like, seeing all the kids dress up on Halloween, that's going to be a good time. If in my longing for Christmas, I miss out on just the simple joy of, this, of the fall, man, it's kind of a waste. I think that's maybe a little helpful picture of what, of what Peter is saying here. That, hey, don't miss out on this season of what God is doing just because you're longing for heaven. And I think for a lot of us in our generation, it's not that we're literally longing for heaven, but we're longing for this, this next best thing, this idea of heaven on earth. And, and guys, there's no heaven on earth. Like it, it's not gonna be perfect until Jesus comes back. So we just need to go ahead and embrace that, Amen. So right now, knowing yes, it's a broken world, it's not as perfect as it should be and will be when Christ returns, right now, the best thing we can do is celebrate and participate in the mission of God, of seeing people saved, of seeing lives 
change. If you remember our, kind of our, our push for this year, the different ministries is the Love the Lost initiative, to have one gospel conversation per month. And you're not limited to one. You could not have more than one. You had three. You can leave our church. No, no. To at least have one gospel conversation where you encourage someone to consider finding their greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus, to consider placing their faith in Jesus, to have one gospel conversation per month, to share the love of Christ with somebody. So I want to remind you, man, we're, it's October 17th. Halfway through October, have you had your October conversation? If not, you still got a few days, right? That's a way to celebrate and participate in the mission of God, to pray for those who don't know Christ, to, to give to what God's doing here uh, at Southcrest and beyond so people can know Christ. I think one other way I want to lean in just for a second, and the idea of part, or celebrating the mission of God we should celebrate when people come in the doors to church. I'm not saying like we're gonna form a party line, like woo, like, like, a, like a tunnel. That would, I wouldn't be against that, but we, like if we could just have a quick little family moment here. I was talking with a, with a friend earlier before the service. This is one of the sweetest churches I know. Like this is a loving place. It really is. I think an area we could grow is when new people come in, not just talking to our same old friends. Let me tell you a story. A couple, when Awana first started back for the fall, Lauren and I were standing in line to, to check in the kids for Awana and we're standing there and there's a little boy in front of us with his mom and this other little boy, they... I don't know, seven years old, you think, something like that. The other little boy runs up to him. He's like, dude, man, it's so good to see you here. And the little boy standing in line is not responding. He's just like, <laughs> and he's like, no, wow. And he said, hey, he called him Buddy, which was so cute. He was like, hey, Buddy, I don't, I don't remember your name, but we play baseball together. Can you tell me your name again? So the little boy told him his name. And he was, this guy, the guy that had ran up, stuck, it, stuck his hand out and shook his hand. He's like, hey, I'm whatever his name was. And Man, it's so good to see you here at church. I tell you what, you get checked in. I'm gonna go back over here. I'm gonna save you a spot. You come sit with me, man. <laughs> Lauren said there were tears in her eyes. <laughs> and we were like, that is what it's supposed to be like. Amen? Too often, and I'm guilty too, for sure. No doubt, so you, like, you can go ahead and throw the stones. It's okay. Actually, you can't because you're guilty too. <laughs> How often people come in and you, it registers, I think, I think they're not from here. I think they're new. And you just keep talking to your people. Bless you. <laughs> right, I, I could, listen, I could like belabor this way too long. Y'all with me? Let, let, let's do better here. If people are gonna feel like they're getting to be part of the mission of God, when they come into where God's people are gathered, which we are the church, man, it should feel welcoming and inviting. Amen? Let's, let's work on that. I, I gotta keep moving. Okay. <laughs> Celebrate and participate in the mission of God. Actually, I'm gonna say one more thing. <laughs> I think my natural inclination, and probably yours too, your pushback is, man, but like, it's just good to see my, my friends at church and like, that's it's just my time to just kind of, get my soul fed and be restored, like totally, for sure. But I love what Paul says in 
Romans 15, seven. He says, welcome one another just as Christ also welcomed you to the glory of God. I think that kind of takes away our excuse, doesn't it? If we're gonna welcome others as Christ has welcomed us, that means maybe, not maybe, for sure denying ourselves, right? And, and maybe it means telling your group, your, your friends, like, hey, I, let's catch up later. I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna go talk to these new folks. I'm gonna go celebrate what God is doing and bringing some people into the fold. Like, well, you don't say that. Like, <laughs> bringing some people to church. Welcome others as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Okay, so, so far two, I gotta press the gas a little bit. Two things on God's will, be serious about holiness. Number two, so celebrate and participate in the mission of God. Now this next point, we're gonna, before we put it on the screen, I give it to you, we have to kind of build to it. So look at verse 16. Speaking of Paul writing, how Paul agreed with what he had just said, excuse me, he says he speaks about these things in all his letters. I love this. You should underline this next verse. There are some things hard to understand in them. Thank you, Peter. Thank you for acknowledging that the Bible is hard to read sometimes. Amen? Like, all of a sudden, Peter is now your favorite biblical author, right? Like, he said, some of these things are hard to understand. But listen to this. The untaught and unstable will twist them to their own destruction as they also do with the rest of the scripture. So before we get to our point here, we've got to keep kind of building here. So he's saying, Paul's written these things like I am to you. And then he kind of takes a little turn and says, some of the things Paul writes are hard to understand, which I feel like some of what Peter writes is super hard to understand. But he says, it's hard to understand. And the untaught and unstable are going to twist them to their own destruction. He says, not just what Paul wrote, they're going to twist the rest of the scriptures. By the way, a little interesting note there. That shows us that already in the first century, they saw the letters of the New Testament church that Paul had written, they already saw them as scripture. Catch that? So this is not some man-made thing that over the centuries we decided was the Bible. No, from the beginning, they, they recognized this as the word of God, amen? Authoritative in their lives. Question. Hang in there, we're gonna get to the third, I promise. Do people today try to twist scripture? Yes, for sure. If you're not sure what that looks like, I think one way people try to twist scripture today is to say, let me say this, is God love? Is God a loving God? Yes, he is. But people twist that and say, well, because God is a loving God, that means we're all going to heaven, all roads lead to heaven. There's just different religions and we're all gonna get there because he's a loving God. So whether you're a Muslim or a Buddhist or you don't believe in God, we'll all get accepted. The problem is Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father except through what? Him. So yes, God's a loving God, but it doesn't mean like, oh, we're all, we're all, gonna, we're all the same. Like, no, only those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ will see the Father, will go to heaven. I think another way, another way people twist scripture and you, you may hear this say, oh man, like just another Baptist preacher ganging up on this. No, I think in our culture, homosexuality is always twisted. There's always, the media is, like even on Disney Plus, there's stuff there. Now parents, you should like, you should know that if you have Disney Plus, like you just be mindful. There's even stuff on Disney Plus that is pretty um, pro-homosexuality. So not saying it's the worst sin ever, not trying to beat, beat those people up, but just like we need to address that. Um, and an argument is that, well, 
The word homosexuality wasn't actually in the New Testament. It wasn't in the Greek. And so that was just a word that we made up in our culture. Paul wasn't really against it. The New Testament wasn't really against it. I'm totally gonna share from uh, Jonathan Pakluda. He's a pastor down in Waco. And uh, I love the way he just very quick, quickly addresses this. He says, the word homosexuality did not exist until around 1940. And the way I would describe that is the word, is the word Trinity in the Bible. No. Is the concept there from the beginning? Yes. Is the word, has the word grace always existed? No. But has the concept always been there? Absolutely. Okay. So similar to that. The Greek word found in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 and 1 Timothy 1, 9 through 10 translates to man bedding. This was Paul's attempt at colloquially translating the term from Leviticus 20, 13, men who lie with one another. In summary, it was men who sleep with men. And now we call that homosexuality. There's a different word in Romans 1, 26 through 27, and it's quoting, inflamed with lust for one another. In fact, the Greek clearly states before that, in burning for one another, these men abandoned their natural design. In summary, the New Testament absolutely says homosexuality is wrong. So when you're watching the news or on social media or whatever, talking with people, and they say, well, the word homosexuality isn't actually in the Bible. They're trying to, one, they're just ill-informed and uneducated on the issue. Doesn't mean they're stupid. They just don't know what they're talking about. I didn't mean that rude, I promise. But they're trying to twist scripture. I think another way you could say people twist scripture is where they make you the center of the Bible. You know what? Just like David, you believe in God and you go conquer your giants because you're awesome. If I can conquer all my own giants, then I don't need Jesus and that's a problem, amen? So he says, people twist scripture and this is certainly true today. People are gonna twist scripture in our day. So what do you do about it? Verse 17, therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, so since you have a heads up, be on your guards that you are not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stable position. So here's our third point. What is God's will for your life? Here's how I worded it. Keep your head on a swivel. God's word will, for, excuse me, God's will for me is to keep my head on a swivel. That's why it says, be on guard so you aren't led away. So people are actively trying to pull you away from Christ. Ephesians 2 says that those who don't know Christ are under their influence and the power of Satan. That's kind of scary, right? So even us, before you knew Christ, you were under the influence, the direction of Satan. And Satan is trying to pull you away from Christ. So Peter's saying, be on guard. Keep your head on a swivel. You know what that means, right? Keep your head on a swivel. You're looking, right? Some good places to have your head on a swivel. If you're playing football and you're on the field, you need to have your head on a swivel. Because if not, some joker that's way bigger than you will knock you off your feet because they're looking for you. Another great place to have your head on a swivel is on a safari. If you get out of that little vehicle, you're not just moseying. Like you're, you're looking because Mufasa is out there right? Better yet, scars out there. RIP, Mufasa. <laughs> Another great place to have your head on a swivel is when you're checking email or like getting phone calls, right? When the son of the deposed king of Nigeria emails you directly, right? How many, how many calls have you gotten about uh, your car warranty, right? <laughs> like, like 
they don't care about your car warranty, right? Like, so you, you keep your head on a swivel. You're, you're, I appreciate now, at least I guess on Apple, like it at least a spam call, right? One of, our, one of our staff members, he said, man, with our whole Love the Lost initiative, he said, I just started answering those calls and I just try to share the gospel with them, <laughs> which is awesome. Jesus said that of Satan that he is coming to steal and kill and destroy. And he often does that through people twisting scripture. So Peter says, keep your head on a swivel. You're on guard. So I wanna ask you real quick, like what, what are you listening to and what are you watching that you're allowing Satan to foothold into your life? I promise you, there is a motive in every form of media. There's not a show you watch, a song you listen to that there's not some motive. Oh, that's fine, it doesn't bother me. I think if you have your head on a swivel, you're on guard, you can kind of keep stuff at bay, but if you're just do-do-do watching stuff, you're gonna get eat up. Satan is roaming around looking for whom you may devour. Keep your head on a swivel. And if you say, man, that sounds like a paranoid way to live. Ugh. I think the fourth thing he gives us for God's will helps you know how to live like that without being paranoid. Look at verse 18. But, so now he's gonna basically say the same thing, but flip it on his head to a positive sense. So be on guard, so you don't fall away, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. What's the fourth thing we see in this text? God's will for your life? God's will for me is to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. So you could say, how do you keep your head on a swivel? You grow in Jesus. You keep your eyes on him. You should be growing in your understanding of grace. You should be growing in your, your knowledge of Jesus. See, there's no coasting in the Christian life. God's desire for you, his will for you, for sure, no question about it, no argument, no let me pray about it. No, his will for you is that you grow in grace, in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. What a cool thing. Like that, that gets me excited. You wake up in the morning, put your feet on the bed, or not, that's a great start. <laughs> put your feet on the, hello. Put your feet on the floor. What's God's will for me? He wants me to grow in his grace and in his knowledge today. That's pretty cool. God, you want me to grow in knowing you, the one that's more satisfying and bigger and better than anything this world has to offer? Sign me up. Grow in grace. There's no growing as a Christian apart from an intimate friendship with Jesus. So grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, the interesting thing about, about growing, you can't necessarily make yourself grow. Like I was talking to a young man several months ago from San Antonio who was just visiting, and uh, he said, 
He said, man, really, I'm really doing my best to hit 6'5 or 6'6. I'm doing all I can. And I was like, I don't, I don't think it's up to you, man. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like uh, nope. Um, I mean, you can, you can go lift some weights and stuff. And like, you can you know, put on some masks. But like, you, 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 here's what you can do. You can't control that, but you can have the right inputs. Right? Like if he told me he's trying to get to 6'5 and he's just eating Cheetos, like, okay, let's have a conversation, right? You can have the right inputs. How do you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus? It's not waking up every day and like, all right, I'm gonna grow today. No, you spend time with Jesus and therefore you have the right inputs. You say this every week. I sure do. Read your Bible. Uh, we were talking about some of our staff the other day. Uh, and until I'm convinced that, I don't mean this like in, a, like in a legalistic way, but until I'm convinced that as a body of Christ that we're, collectively engaging in the word daily or as, oh, as much as we can, like, we're gonna keep preaching that. Even when we do, we're gonna keep preaching that. How do you grow as a Christian? How do you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus? You spend time in his word. Amen. Read your Bible. I'm just not really growing. It's like I'm still a baby Christian. Read your Bible. You gotta read it. You gotta dive in. You gotta spend time in prayer. You gotta be a part of community. And as you do those things, you begin to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. And, and you may say, wait, isn't, isn't growing in grace, isn't that all kind of elementary? Here's the deal. You never outgrow the gospel. Like it's not like lost, get saved in the gospel. Now I'm just going to do my own thing. No, the gospel sustains you day to day. You grow in the gospel. I love what Thomas Striner, he's a Theologian says, he says, grace is the foundation of the lives of believers and is entirely God's gift. And yet believers are exhorted to grow in it, to be nurtured in it and to be strengthened by it. Grace is not a static reality. Believers are to grow in it until the day they die. It is God's will for you to, to grow in your knowledge and experience and embrace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is God's will for you? There's a lot of things I don't have a clue what his will is for you. But four things for certain. Today, October 17th, 2021, his will for you? Be serious about holiness. Celebrate and participate in the mission of God. Sorry. Keep your head on a swivel and grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. I want to ask you as Maddox comes up, maybe it's one of, is there, is there one of those that you need to, to really grow in today? It's God's will for your life. You know, I love the way he ends with, he says, speaking of Jesus, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. He's saying, even though, Okay, this is God's will for your life. He's pointing us back to Jesus. That's really all about Jesus. God's will for you is to glorify Jesus. If you want to add a fifth point, I guess you could, if you like the number five better. <laughs> That's his will. You, you, you glorify Jesus. And do you see how in all of these, he's inviting you to be part of a bigger story. See, to go back to the beginning, we often worry about, am I doing this just right? And, and am, am, is the timing just right? Did I make the decision right? Did I miss a clue? Like, am I doing everything just right? And that mindset, who is that focused on? It's focused on me. 
See, the picture of scripture, God has things for us to do. His will is made clear in scripture. But really the picture is that, I've used this before, but I think it's helpful, is that he is the master conductor. And as we, we sit and we live our lives, he's not calling us to stress out over which instrument we find ourselves playing, this violin or the flute or some drums, whatever. He, he don't need to stress over that. Probably how he's gifted you, what you're good at, play that, right? He's more concerned that whatever you find yourself doing, you do it for the glory of God. That you worry less about what instrument you're playing and that you join in in the song that he has already written. To quit worrying about his secret will and to begin to just play the song of his revealed will. Less stress over, am I doing things right? God, am I living for your glory? That's what matters. That's what matters. So as we sing this morning, in a minute, there'll be some, some folks down front. And if you want to pray about something or talk about what it means to, to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior because He bled and died for your sin and three days later rose again and offers you new life and forgiveness and hope and purpose and eternity with Him in heaven, they would love to talk with you and pray with you about that. Or maybe you just want to come and pray and, and say, Jesus, I've been worrying about all these other things and what might be your will for my life. And maybe one of those four things has been made clear to you this morning that you need to lean into. Or maybe you just want to stand and sing and celebrate what God has done through the cross. We invite you to do any and all of those things. I'm going to pray for us, then we're going to stand and sing and respond. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your revealed will. We don't have to guess and wonder what you want us to do, but giving us some clear things to live out. God, I pray even specifically you would give each of us maybe just one of those things that we could work on. God, as we respond, would you give us boldness to respond? Would you give us clarity that we would hear from you? God, thank you that your word always speaks, always moves in our lives. God would stand, let's respond how God leads you. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 